0: Hello and welcome to Rewildology, the nature podcast that explores the human side of conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. The Eurasian lynx is one of Europe's most iconic and tenacious carnivores. Full of grit, these cats regularly take down prey many times their size and fill the same ecological role as their bigger feline relatives. The Eurasian lynx is also one of Europe's most imperiled predators. Regionally extinct in areas and barely holding on in others, conservationists have recognized that serious work is required for these cats to thrive. Considering the elusive nature of these cats, you might be asking, how do you go about restoring lynx numbers, connecting isolated populations, and studying a cat that's a master at not being seen? Additionally, how does one engage all stakeholders, including local communities, hunters, educators, and tour guides in linked conservation? These questions almost seem unanswerable, but the guest of today's episode has figured it out and shares his knowledge with us today. In this episode, we are sitting down with Vedran Slyipcevic, wildlife veterinarian and a founder of the Life Links Project. While in veterinary school, Vadrin attended a lecture by a well known Croatian bear scientist, and right away he knew he wanted to become involved in large carnivore research. After volunteering in all sorts of research roles, Vedran landed the opportunity to go into the field to study the Eurasian lynx, which laid the foundation for his future career as a predator researcher and a senior lecturer. Vadrin and I discuss his life's journey and how he became a veterinarian large carnivore researcher, senior lecturer, and seasoned hunter. We then chat about wildlife management and how Croatia manages its large carnivores. Following, we explore all aspects of the lynx's life, their natural history, why they became almost extinct in the Dinaric Mountains, issues the population is currently facing, and how Vedran's project, Life Lynx, is bringing them back. And of course, sprinkled throughout the conversation is the human dimension of coexisting with lynx because, as we've learned, engaging local communities is crucial to conserving wildlife. All right, everyone, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Vedran. Well, hi, Vedran. Thank you so much for coming on the Rewildology podcast today and being a part of this very unique and super fun European large carnivore series that we're working on together. And I'm so excited to have you on because you have a very unique perspective that I feel needs to be told more and your background and your knowledge and everything. So let's, let's go through your journey. What is the story that led you to what you are doing today?
1: Well, it's actually quite a long story.
0: <laughs> let's get through all it's of more, it. More I want to hear all of it. Yeah,
1: it's, it's like more than 30 <laughs> years old. Uh, It begins when I was five, when I decided uh, to become a veterinarian. I was primarily inspired by documentaries, as I wanted to, to become a wildlife veterinarian. And with time, you know, like with growing up, coming to find that Croatia is quite a small country, which actually doesn't need wildlife veterinarians, then you grow up and say, okay... I'll just be the regular veterinarian for livestock or pets and stuff like that. So I started studying veterinary faculty and already on the first year, I have met professor Huber, who is world-known bear scientist. At the time, I really didn't know about him before he started to, to give us lectures. And then I saw, wow, you can do this in Croatia. It's wow. <laughs> it's fantastic. So... I really got very interested and started volunteering already on the, on the first year and at first my volunteering consisted of cleaning bear and wolf bones, like conserving them, marking them. And actually the stuff that people usually considered boring, but for me, it was really fun and exciting as I always actually loved bones. So almost every day I I woke up very early around 5 AM, came to the faculty work at least one hour and then went to class so professor and his colleagues recognized the, the effort i did and already and at the end of first year they offered me to to join them on field work yeah and actually the first field work we, we were working on was uh capturing an orphan bear cub we, uh, it was approaching people uh, mm. the, the village settlement and I well, already on 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 the first fieldwork, I got the chance to, to work and it, it was really fantastic. Professor Huber was really like that. Quite simple, you know, he said, okay, do this, this, and this, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so in time, uh, more and more fieldworks were there, my faculty went on quite well. Also, it, it was not all fieldwork. You also had some parties. you know, it, it was not like, like all <laughs> just books and fieldwork. And it, it was really fun to study and, and, and all really went well. And by the time I, I became uh, fourth year, I already got the uh, keys of quite old, all-terrain old vehicle and managed to, to work in the field by myself. And it was, Really now coming from the position uh, of a lecturer, um, I see that they really had a, a lot of trust in me. So I got to work by myself and also to, to have some other students with me, showing them how to work. And by the, the end of fifth year, I got employed on, on a Dinaris project, which was involved in Lynx research. It was for one year. And it was a very interesting uh, project where I got to be almost for, for one entire year in the field we, with short breaks, like two or three days break, and then again two or three weeks in the field. And I really loved it. And it, it was paid, you know, like when you're a student and, and you get paid and you spend a lot of time doing what you like, you, you actually don't need anything more. It was fantastic. At the time, with, with the first salary, I got two major investments. One was really great sleeping bag, <laughs> yes. uh, in, in which you can sleep on minus 16, on and you can survive on minus 30. You know, like great feathers, it's like really warm. <laughs> and the other investment was a uh, Canon DSLR camera with the lens. It was not really an expensive expensive professional equipment, but for a a start, it was really great. So with the combination of these two things, I really got to do a lot of great things. And when I remember actually that investment, it was probably the the best investment I I had because in, in that year, I really got a bunch of opportunities for both for to- photography and the bag actually saved my life quite some time. So, so I didn't <laughs> face the bag. <laughs> By the end of the project, in time, I had to finish my my study to get my degree. And the project, as it's finished, already from another, from one institute, people already knew about my, my experience with, with large carnivores. And they employed me as an associate for wildlife research and then uh, there I got actually some other qualifications like deep sea diving and uh, speleology and c- caving yeah that's crazy uh, <laughs> I got qualified to work on on heights you know like <laughs> <laughs> just, just so they were really things. great yeah and again I, I spent a lot of time in the field and it was fantastic and each time Maybe two years later, I got an offer from Karlovac University of Applied Sciences. They were looking for an assistant to employ, just to, to work on class. But again, they were quite open to, to people bringing in some projects and working on projects and also including students, students on those projects. So I said, okay, let's, let's see what they have to offer. And we, we had a little chat and I really got interested, okay sound like a great opportunity. So I got a job as an assistant. It was in 2010 as an assistant on Carlovac University of Applied Sciences, Department of uh, Wildlife Management and Nature Protection. There I work now, but now I'm, I'm a senior lecturer and I, I must say, it's really a great combination because uh, in time, as I worked a lot in the field, met actually a lot of people. And also, am I would say seasoned Hunter. And I I actually cannot say if, if I'm uh, more of an environmentalist or or a Hunter, although those two things are not that opposite. They actually overlap, but I, I, I'm not actually sure what, what I started first. So it, it grew both sides in me grew quite well and quite fast. So. On, on this department, I really saw the, the opportunity to, to work with young people. And as we don't have only young students that are 18 or 19 years old, and we also have people that, that maybe already work somewhere and they want to improve their skills. We also uh, have actually a lot of communications with people that already work as park rangers, nature park, park rangers, and, and on positions like that. And also young people that want to do that. So I actually saw a great opportunity to educate these people in a way they can do their job as good as possible. And as I worked before, I work now, currently I, it's sometimes even hard to count all the projects I'm working on currently. (laughs) I think I'm around five. Wow. And. Yeah. And, but, but maybe if I check with some people, maybe it's, it's even six. <laughs> maybe I even still don't know about some of them. So <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but it, it's, it's really great because uh, whenever I have the opportunity, I include, include some of the students in, in the work. So they see the, the entire process of working on projects and. The idea of this department I work on, the, the goal is to, to give students uh, some basics, both in hunting and in nature protection. So it's always good to include both in, in projects. So hunters get some more idea of nature protection and those students that are more interested in nature protection, they, got, they, they get some new ideas about how hunting some of them even decide to become hunters. It's it's interesting, like in a few years of studying, people open up. Yeah, so they somehow change their minds. And and we also have some people that that were hunters, and they, after they graduated, they actually stayed hunters, but later on employed themselves in nature protection agencies or national parks and such. So it's it's really interesting. I I, I don't think that, that I actually had something to do especially with it, but it's, it's nice nice to see this this process. You know? Yeah. Currently, one of the projects I'm working on is Life Links project, which is dealing with the problem of inbreeding of our links in dynarics in, in Croatia, Slovenia, in and Bosnia. And it's I must say, you know, when when people ask you what is the the biggest thing you you ever did professionally after the end of, of this project, I think that I, I will say that's really the, the highlight. Although you never know, you know, I will I will probably be working for twenty twenty five more years, maybe thirty. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so I know how long I'm to live. <laughs> So maybe there will be some new highlights, but this is really, this is really big thing because I've had people calling me and, and they said, wow, you really want one from the team that are saving the, the Lynx population. Yes, I, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's really great. And the project is really going great. We have one and a half more year. It's, slowly rolling towards the end, all as land and, and it's really, it's very rewarding and people from all around are recognizing, this project, the media is following us, I would say in, in step, there's always behind us, everything we do. We actually don't have to call media, they, they call us. Nice. <laughs> That's yeah, yeah. convenient. And, <laughs> and especially the, the Croatian side, people got very interested in, in, in the project. It's it's a big project. We have eleven partners, five countries. But in Croatia we really we are doing this with a lot of effort and again thinking a lot about human dimension. And the people recognize that. And again, links is a very charismatic animal so it's it's not that hard to to get people's attention whatever you do with the links you you get always reactions oh how cute it is oh (laughs) fluffy (laughs) people i guess people like yeah and so we we are we are now like five or, or seven times more in media than we were supposed to so it's really Uh, Regarding project visibility, it's really great. But also regarding uh, the main part, the inclusion, new links in our population, reducing the inbreeding, it's also going well. We already released 15 links, but both in Croatia and Slovenia. In, In Croatia, it was five links, and we plan to release one more in next year, somewhere in spring. So... It's really going really, really great. The people are very positive. The, the project team is fantastic. So I don't know. It's, it's like some kind of fairy tale. I don't know. <laughs> so, or, or a good dream. So, okay. uh, at the moment, we'll probably wake up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sounds like you're doing a fantastic job. And yes, I definitely want to get in very, very deep into your whole project and everything surrounding the links. But before we do that, I would love to take this up just one notch since you are a wildlife management and nature protection expert. So sometimes as like a conservation biologist or maybe someone that might be more on the environmental side, or like I said, the science side or these other sides from your experience, what is like wildlife management's overall role in large carnivore conservation? What would you say is the very important aspect that that, sector brings to making sure that our carnivores are still here
1: yeah the main thing with when we are talking about management it's always to to keep a, a cool head you know like w- whenever you have a, a certain problem and with large carnivores especially with animals like bears that, that can get easily habituated to humans and really cause problems it's always very important to have a cool head And and always keep in mind what's good for the population. That's really the the main thing. And then you have to channelize that somehow through people's perspective to get some kind of goal. But the main thing and really the best thing we have in Croatia is really a lot of habitat. Croatia is, is not that big country. You know, we're like fifty-six thousand square kilometers. I I guess we're like Yellowstone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, okay, a bit a bit bigger than Yellowstone, but (laughs) I guess. (laughs) Uh, But we have somewhere around ten thousand square kilometers of almost completely connected forests. Wow, it's like huge area. It's not all a national park. We have their national parks, we have nature parks, we have hunting grounds. It's all included in, in this huge area. It's this main mountain range, in the actual Dynarix is going through Croatia and we share it with uh, Bosnia and, and Slovenia, but the Croatian part is around 10,000 square kilometers. And there we have lynxes, we have wolves, we have bears. The number of bears is around one thousand, maybe more, not so likely less, but we really have a lot of bears. So the main thing is that uh, the habitat is still, I wouldn't say intact. It, it's it's a managed forest in in most of cases. So there is tree cutting, but it, it's it's a selective harvest. You know, it's it's not mm. like complete taking down the entire forest. Like clear cut. Yeah, no, no, no clear cutting. They they have selective harvest. So every 10 years they come in this one department, forest department, and they take some of the trees and they leave it for 10 years. So for at the time animals move away because because of all the machines and chainsaws and stuff like that. But when people move away, animals go back. There is some more light as some trees are missing. So some more growth grows up. There is more food for herbivores. And they use that. And they have some, some peace again. And the main thing is that the habitat remains secure. You know, it's, it's not significant, significantly changed. And it's very interesting that animals actually got used to people in, in those areas. And when people move away, people usually work from 7 to 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then people move away and then the animals step in. So that mm-hmm. they use the habitat after work hours and, and during the night. So I guess that they share the habitat. And uh, there is, uh, thanks to mixed forests, of beach and per there's actually a lot of natural food for for both large carnivores and their prey so they don't have that much need to to go close to human settlements especially when we're talking about bears and and lynx. when we're talking about wolves it's a bit more complicated as and in some areas, there, there is some unguarded cattle. So mm. wolves get habituated to feed on livestock. And that's actually a quite a, a big problem always with wolves. And you have some people that are trying to reduce the number of wolves. All three species are strictly protected. Croatia. Uh, although bear is also game animal. so. Mm. From from one side, it is strictly protected, but from the other other side, it is allowed to be managed. So around every year, around 120 bears are legally shot. It's not a small number. It's significant. But again, with that approach, the bear population is still rising. So I guess it's not... So to interject uh, really
0: fast to yeah. make sure I understand. So it's a protected species that's also managed. So does that mean that there's that only 120 bears are allowed to be harvested? And then if somebody, like let's say, shoots bear 125, then are there heavy fines or something? Then then is it like they're going against that protection? Or I guess maybe if you could explain it a little bit further, what exactly that means to be a managed, protected? population, just from my understanding.
1: Yeah, yeah no, uh, no no problem. Because I would say it's uh, under strict surveillance. So when we're talking about bear hunting plan, they actually have for every year, they have a new action plan for bear management where they say, okay, they, they have a special commission that in every year they will see, okay what's the status of bear population? And they will they will say, okay, status is good. We can allow 120 bears to be shot. Mm-hmm. Or they can say, we've had some more unplanned mortality, like traffic or maybe poaching or some other causes of that. And they can say, okay, we had more mortalities like this. Now we, we will re- uh, reduce the quota. So the main thing is that This model turned out to be actually good for bear conservation. As it is allowed to be hunted, the people gave them value as a trophy animal. Hunters primarily, as most of bears are shot in commercial hunting. So after the bear is shot, the owner of hunting rights will probably get a few thousand euros for for this bear. Otherwise, if he's not allowed to shoot the bear to, to get this commercial, I would say reward for having the bear in in the hunting round, then uh, he will actually mostly have only problems with bears. Mm. You know, because bears are you know like hairy children. <laughs> like they're, they just go around and, and make some some kind of mess yeah. because. They will uh, mess with beehives. Sometimes they will mess with livestock, do damages, even sometimes on cars or on on agriculture and stuff like that. So like some kind of compensation for that, uh, bears are allowed to be hunted. And again, it's it's actually a model that, that works quite well. Because hunters say, okay, I will tolerate bears because I can hunt them legally. Otherwise, the poaching would be more than, than it, it could be controlled, you know, because if, if the bear makes more damage, uh, actually, if a bear makes some damage and, and it's not, and it doesn't have any chance to, to give you something back, then it's just a menace, it, it's mm. just a problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking from my perspective. I'm looking from perspective of of people that that live there, right? And yeah, and and when they get some kind of compensation for bear, like this commercial hunting, although it, it's not the only way you can have benefits from bears, you have, I don't know, photo hunting. There is some, I don't know, two or three. Agencies that, that are all, only cl- included in bear photo hunting, and it's also fantastic. You know, it's it's again, it's shooting bears, but it's shooting with, with cameras, camera. and not <laughs> yes. with bullets. Yeah, it, it's it's not it's non-consumptive use of bears. It's really great, and and one person even got the idea. It, it's fantastic. He actually uh, vacuumed bear scat, you know, their feces, and he's selling that. He has the, the entire pack. It, it's with colors and the illustration illustration of bear, and he's calling that product bear shit. And people are really buying it and taking it home it's, as a souvenir. That's crazy. And it's fantastic bec- because you can take that. You can find it on the road. Bear will not mind, and it's actually something that went through the bear. So you can have it in your hands, you know, and in in some weird way you have you can have connection with bears.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is a weird way, but yes, it's connection. <laughs> yeah, but
1: but it's it's very sympathetic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, thanks so much for explaining that too. So, it seems that when you have a very well managed population, then a lot of maybe conflict might be conflict between people essentially. Well, also we, as we all know, large carnivores are ridden with conflict just because they exist and humans naturally don't like things that are a threat. So that is wonderful. Thanks so much for going through that with me. So let's go back to the links, which is obviously your love and that you've had so much work in hand on. So before we dive deep, like really deep into life length, could you maybe take us through the history of the lynx in your area, because you, you briefly mentioned an inbreeding problem and stuff. So what has happened with the lynx up until now?
1: Yeah. If we look a lot back in, in the past, then we can see that the the lynx actually primarily died out in, in Dinerics at the beginning of 20th century. Uh, It's extinction was primarily due, due to hunting. As the people uh, looked at them as as a problem animal for game, you know, like like competition, and also uh, at the moment the the habitat was highly highly reduced as more people lived in the forest, lived from wood industry, and at the time they didn't have transportation to go to from forest home, and then again. They actually had to live in the forest. As, a, as people lived in the forest, they couldn't have livestock in the forest, and they were hunting animals around. And as they were hunting animals like roe deer, chamois, and another red deer, they actually reduced the numbers of those species, which, again, influenced the, the lynx. Those people also recognized the lynx as direct competition, and worked directly in hunting of lynx. So in time, by the beginning of 20th century, the lynx in dynarics died out completely. Hmm. And uh, it was like that for 70 years. And in 1973, Slovenian foresters and biologists together released uh, six lynx in Kočevski Rogue area in Slovenia. And that is considered to be one of most successful reintroductions of Barrett Carnivores anywhere, because those six lynxes that were released, or females and two males, they were breeding and spreading rapidly throughout the Dianerics because they had really great situation for them. Because in time, ungulate, ungulate densities improved as forest management became a lot better and also hunting management were, was working towards increasing angular numbers. And other fun fact is that roe deer, uh, which is the main prey of Eurasian lynx, was developing 70 years without a predator-like lynx. <laughs> you know, they completely forgot about <laughs> lynx. So I would... Dare to say that almost every young lynx that left his mother found a new territory and had a lot of prey that did not know about a predator like him. <laughs> and yeah, and and that, that's how they spread very fast, uh, already from from north of the Nerics, from Slovenia, all the way to Croatia and all down south to to Bosnia. So. They had a lot of territory, a lot of prey, and they, they really spread very fast. And it was like that for 10 or 20 years. It was fantastic. And the lynx actually, as it spread very fast and the numbers were quite high. It was treated like a game animal and it was hunted. And there was in Croatia, there, there was a quota of 10, around 10 lynxes per year and Every year this quota w- was filled, it was not a the problem, there, w- there was a lot of links. But in time, they noticed that it was harder and harder to fill the quota. It was at the beginning of 90s, and they said something is happening with the links. We, c- we cannot shoot the 10 links we are planning to shoot, something is happening. So in the 90s, the links became strictly protected. And they said, okay, now the numbers should be increasing. But the numbers didn't go mm. up. But they stayed somewhere around that. So they said again, what's the problem now? Since we were all aware that the, the population is, was started by only six individuals, of, su- of which some of them already were related, like mother and son, brother and sister, eh? Inbreeding problems already started to, to, to take place and uh, this primary expansion somehow just stopped you know like that they they were just like here and first my colleague Magda sindicic from veterinary faculty she she uh, worked on gathering historic samples from like from trophies first is, uh skulls genetic samples to see to, to try to study the, the genetics to see if there are any signs of inbreeding at the beginning from i would say further history it was not such a big problem but as the samples became fresher the the inbreeding became more and more apparent mm. and now our freshest samples are actually saying that all of our links are related, like brothers and sisters.
0: So oh, whoa! Our, that's not yeah,
1: good. Yeah, we we would even say more than that, but it, it's very very hard to to understand how how can you be more related than brother and sister, and right. like yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So we were aware of that a long time ago. That's why we together, together with both Slovenians and uh, Italians and, and other partners. And, uh, decided to, to start with this link links project as we actually, before even thinking about links project, you we were thinking about, okay, we have to bring new links. How, how can we do that? What, what, which is the, the simplest way? How, how many, you know, it's, it's really very complicated. And then we decided to go with, with the application to to life. And the first application didn't pass. We used that as, as a good, huh, I would say a good lecture to, to work on, on our application, we optimized it really a lot. And, and at second time we passed, I would say with flying colors hmm. and by the look of the project, it really was deserved. So it's currently, it's really going well. I, I don't know how brief the, this explanation is, but <laughs> <laughs> you got from the beginning of, be, beginning of 20th century to now. So I, I guess it's okay. No, that's great.
0: <laughs> no, that was fantastic. Thank you. Because then I think that really set up the background for why Lifelinks projects exist. Or yeah, yeah, Lifelinks, sorry. I'm, first I got dyslexic there. I was like, is it links? No, it's definitely like links (laughs) project. So now we are to your project itself. So what exactly do you do to help save the links? And from our last conversation, it sounds like the way you have approached this human dimension, part of it as well is very different than a lot of other large carnivore projects. So yeah, take us through that. What do you all do? How are you saving the links? And then also how are you engaging stakeholders in all of this too cuz they're really important.
1: <laughs> yeah, learning from some mistakes, not not actually our mistakes, but someone else's mistakes. We actually knew that if you only bring new animals to population and do not do anything else to conserve the population in in, lo- in the long term, you will not do enough and the the goal will be you know, questionable because there were some reintroductions where researchers simply released large carnivores in nature and then were confronted with farmers, hunters, and they really had a lot of against that. Mostly, as you mentioned previously, that people are mostly afraid of large carnivores. People are usually afraid of something they don't know much about. Or mostly that they know wrong things about, you know, like (laughs) being afraid of sharks, something like that, you know, like, okay, or, or lynx or wolves. Those are animals that really never attack people. So no, no need to, to be afraid of those animals. So, but sometimes media will take those teeth and claws just to, to spark up. The, the, the human imagination and and give them some something to read you know which, which is always bad so to to go back to this human dimension I must say it's always about the people because you can't help large carnivores with some direct actions like we have on Life Links project okay you yes. have inbreeding you need to bring new animals it's, for us it's simple if if you look at this from other dimension, from someone who doesn't understand large carnivores, those people will only criticize, you know? Like, why are you bringing these links? It will only eat roe deer, there will be less roe deer, blah, 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 blah. And we, we have some people that, that are talking like that. But since we really did a lot of communication previously with people, those people are minorities. Really small, small minority. And if it did not do on these preparations, this education of people through both through media or directly contacting people, those people would maybe even be majority. And Mm. then you could, you could get situations like farmers or hunters blocking the roads, disabling the concrete actions. With good communication, we really got great response from from people from all the sectors, because people understand that if we are talking about lynx, that a lynx is not an animal of high conflict. Lynx will not attack livestock. Lynx it does eat roe deer, but it will never eat all the roe deer because then it would die and with good hunting management there can be enough roe deer for lynx and for humans you know if you pass that information to people clear enough they will accept it but it's not when you come and tell that to someone maybe on a lecture on or on tv people will not believe that to get the people to believe that you have to include them in research. You cannot include all the people, of course, but the, the most important thing is to include the people that matter the most, the people that live there. With links, key stakeholders are the hunters. And one of the goals of Links project was to include the hunters in research and when this group was included in research, they actually got the chance to give their best of their skills and knowledge to at first do on live links, uh, on, on links research, and then again to, to help the population. So it's, it was really some, we really had some experiences where people that used to hunt links you know, like they were in 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 the time when lynx was a game animal. Then they had some skills that enabled them to both skills and knowledge of lynx that enabled them to to hunt lynx successfully. And those people were willing to share their knowledge with us to help us set camera traps to monitor lynx population better. That's so cool. And yeah, and and the least thing we could do is to show those people information we got from the cameras to let them know that this animal is there, maybe male, female, identified by spots on, on their fur. And and again, the, the one of the best moments was always to, to name the links after the, the person who helped us Find that links you know like i would say the best form of, of appreciation was that mm. either that or to us that person to, to give links the name so it's one very very powerful powerful moment where uh, you really acknowledge the, the effort and the knowledge the the people gave to us share with us So we really had a lot of situations, both in Croatia and the Slovenia also. Slovenian hunters are really fantastic. They're even hunting Alliance, which which is the the roof organization of all hunters in Slovenia, is the partner in the project, which is really fantastic. Yeah, they even had this year, they have on this great hunting fair, they had uh, International Links Day where we, we all came and we presented our work on links and there were some hunters talking about their experiences. It, it was fantastic. You know, wow. we, we had around 100 people from, there were some of us from Croatia, also my students, uh, a lot of people, hunters, researchers from Slovenia, some from Italy and, and, and such that came there. To, in, in in some parts to to honor the links, you know, it's really fantastic. Because why the links? As I previously explained, if you manage your roe deer good, if, if you have good good management, you will have you will have both enough roe deer for hunting and for links. And again, if you if you look at it that way, if you have links in your hunting ground, then you are doing something. Good. Yeah, it's it's not a, a bad sign. In in some past times, people used to believe that links will kill all the road deer. And if, if you see links, oh, oh my God, all the road deer, all <laughs> <on> the deer. <spear. laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, so you have to kill it. Otherwise, it will be. So, one of the, the key parts, not only of this project, but most of our work, is to, to destroy the myth. Because some some of the myths were that the, the lynx will only drink the blood of the, the roe deer and they leave the, the rest. And it, it will kill the other roe deer and they just, they just like drink the blood. Like
0: a vampire or something? Yeah.
1: But then then we explained, no, that's not the lynx. That's actually, that's Dracula. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you got that confused. Yeah.
0: That's a book in a movie. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So... There was really some wrong myths regarding uh, hunting population with, with hunters, some hunters like to believe uh, something peculiar, you know, like hmm. some myths are really worth of repeating and a, a good gossip is sometimes better than truth and stuff like that. But if you make the truth sexy enough, if you make it very interesting, but only, you, you just take the facts, not, nothing else. You, you don't go outside that. But you present them uh, in a way to make them a bit more interesting. Just the presentation. People will accept them and they will pass them on. It's fantastic. And I guess, well, that, that's not all I can say about human dimension. We, we also have these local consultative groups. At the beginning of project, call them LCGs right? For us at the beginning, it was just another project action when, where we should have some meetings and do stuff, you know, like indoors and us researchers, we like more to go outdoors. And <laughs> but okay, let's, we have to do this. So let's do this, let's, let's do this as good as possible. And the the main people that, that were working on, on this part were people from BIOM and the veterinary faculty. I included myself just as a researcher to, to give some information to present some, some about something about research and biology and stuff. So the idea was to to find people that are locally significant. Like we have hunters, we have owners of some tourist offices. We have teachers, especially biology teachers, and maybe some people that are, I don't know, maybe even some people from local government and stuff like that. So we called them all in, in one, on one meeting. Some of them came, some of didn't, didn't have interest, of course. Yeah. But the ones that came, there, there was like around 15 people. And it was very mixed group, you know, otherwise, I don't know where, where you could get all of those people in, in one room. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Because again, you had, you had some NGOs, you had some hunters, you know, like. <laughs>
0: Normally they don't talk to each other. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. So,
1: but okay, they were all there. Now let's talk. So we did a short presentation about projects. And then we ask them, "What do you think about the project?" But not just all the good things. Tell us what do you think. Maybe we should do better. And and th- that's actually that one of the things that people like when when where, when you ask them for advice and even when when you ask them to criticize, because again, it's not just ask them and then don't listen. Of course, you have to listen to that and (laughs) you have to think about, and some of the things were really great and some of the things, actually many of the things we included in, in the project. And it really helped a lot. Things like one media I completely forgot about, it it was the radio. (laughs) (laughs) I I listened to radio actually a lot, I spend a lot of times behind the wheel and, but at home, I actually don't listen to radio. And from my perspective, I don't know who listens to radio. And and one of those people on, on the LCG meeting said, why aren't you on the radio? Then I said, I don't know what, what you're talking about. <laughs> well, many people in Gorski-Kotar region, where, where I mostly work, many people in Gorski-Kotar region are listening to radio. And uh, actually, a lot of older people also listen to radio i think okay yeah those people maybe don't go to the internet don't don't have have social networks and some people like watch tv more or less how to even to get to those people and but they have radio on almost the entire day they function with radio They listen to it the entire day and wow maybe it would really be a good thing to go to the radio show once or twice a year and give some interesting information. I always joke about that. Show pictures. <laughs> 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 to, to talk about the links about the project. Again to, to allow people to ask questions if someone have some questions. And it really turned out really great. And people said, oh yeah, I, I heard that on the radio. It's fantastic. So the, the idea is to, the more people get the information, the the less fertile fertile ground for misinformation mm. you have. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's simply by informing people, you, you, you make them more resistant to lies. And it's fantastic because if someone would like to hurt the project and again, try to started about talking about, ah, lynx will kill, oh, look at this. Now they have released another lynx. Now it will kill all the roe deer. And then you have maybe a school child that will say, it is not true. Lynx <laughs> 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 will eat only 14% of roe deer in his area. And it's like, <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. But it's a fact. It's a scientific fact, which is researched, proven, and Really, it's a fact. It will not kill all. It will eat 14%. Not 40, it's 14. <laughs> not that much. You can live with that. Yeah. So it's really, it, it's been really a, a great journey for now. And I, I believe it it, it it will, the destination is quite visible. You know, the, the final goal, and it's really all going well with, with no serious threats within the project. So we, we should... I would say it's completely under control, both in Croatia and Slovenia where we are, we are releasing the animals.
0: Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. And I think there's this question as I was sitting down preparing for this episode that one of the reasons why I was very excited to talk to you is you are a hunter yourself. And a lot of these conservation projects, the, the people that are involved making it or going out and talking to people aren't hunters, like they are a different demographic, they're biologists, they're whatever, whatever, whatever. Do you feel like since you are a hunter yourself, that maybe that community was more receptive to this project? Or do you think that you all were so open and transparent that that's just a bonus? What do you think, people have observed, do they connect with you on that? I just I just really am curious to hear what you've experienced with that dynamic.
1: Uh, I can really say from my perspective and from experiences of, of other people, maybe just veterinarians or just biologists I work with, in most of cases, if you're a hunter and the uh, hunters you're talking to know that you're a hunter, it will never look at you with the same eyes that they, they look the biologists. Mm-hmm. Now, it's, it can never be the same perspective. Again, biologists have definitely a lot wider view of, of the ecosystem. But biologists can never have hunter's perspective. But if you have at least a part of that hunter's perspective, then you can explain some things to him from his point of view, and most of bi- most of biologists I, I work with ever don't don't have that dimension. You know that they can explain things on on so many ways, great things. They can understand uh, students, school children, general public can understand, but the hunter's point of view is very interesting because with with hunters that they're again not you cannot put them all in the same box (laughs) Uh, when we're talking about hunters you're probably talking uh, about at least five six or seven different types of people that look at hunt that look at hunting from different perspectives and if If you look at them from biologists' point of view, you just see hunters, you know. But if if you know a bit more about this population, then you know that some hunters are more interested in trophies. Some hunters are more interested in game conservation, helping animals go throughout the winter, you know, bringing food and stuff like that some hunters are highly selective in harvest and they will shoot really only weak animals and they really are very very careful with with the animals that they select some hunters are maybe just interested in meat. some hunters are maybe just social it's fantastic, I know so many hunters, they even don't go hunting they just go there and drink coffee we, 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 we come, we come to hunt and they're just drinking coffee we go hunting and we return and they're still there you know? like, <laughs> so what are you doing there <laughs> but some people just function like that it's mostly older people that's already hunted a lot and they're ah they're just talking about old times and stuff like that. So I guess they had enough of time. So now they just socialize and stuff like that. So those those are really different groups of people within the, the hunting community. And it's very interesting. But when approaching people as a hunter, you, you have actually a lot more in common and they will always listen to you more directly and they, they will trust you more then they can trust a biologist if you're a biologist and you come to communication with with hunters then you actually have to to work a lot on establishing that trust mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because you know like hunters are somehow in in some cases i wouldn't say afraid of biologists but really don't as biologists will not understand hunters hunters again will not very often understand biologists you know as meat eaters will not understand vegetarians on some fish stuff like that yeah so but th- that doesn't mean that they don't have to be friends right. they cannot be friends you know no. they can work together so it's it's always very important to, to try to find some some things in which they overlap. You know, like, if you're a biologist, you like the idea of having conserved ecosystem, that the forest is normal, that it's healthy, that you have animals in there. If you're a hunter, you actually want the same thing. And the only thing more, maybe, you would like to take a rifle and maybe take out some of the animals, or even not. But with lynx, if we're talking about lynx, many hunters look at the lynx as, I would say, a bonus in, in this hunting experience. And I always try to, to tell them, again, f- from this other point of view, when, when I show them the example of people that, in, in some countries where lynx was extinct, and still is extinct, and they say, and, and on, on, on these examples, I say, okay, so this guy is in this country, I don't know, Austria, he will have maybe dozens of chamois or roe deer or red deer. But when he sits on his high hide to, to go hunting, he will not see anything else. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. okay. <laughs> another road here, you know, like, yeah. Oh, this one has bigger bigger antlers. Oh, it's a good day, you know. But what if you get the lynx? You know, mm. not not the lynx to shoot, but just to see. You're you're here waiting for your prey, and you, you see a lynx on the other part of meadow, he's also hunting. And even if, if you see with your own eyes, lynx hunting on a road deer. So it's something that maybe just a, a few dozens people, a few dozens of people even saw in their lives. You know, it's so rare. And how many people have shot road deer? Hundreds of thousands. Right. It's not that important. You no, know, it's it's what this biodiversity is all about. So this part, the story I just told you. A biologist cannot tell you this story. Right. <laughs> Sorry to, to, to correct myself. Myself, a biologist that is not a hunter. Right. This is this hunter's perspective. You go hunting, and then you see something which is rewarding in hunting, and and it is related to large carnivores. Yeah. So again, with presence of large carnivores, you will have more rewards. Then, then, how would you say the opposite of rewards? Like,
0: instead of rewards, like, minuses. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reward. <laughs> minus. Just or like, or bonus, less minus. Yeah. Yeah. I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah. So, and uh, when I talk to people like that, it's, it's really something. And I, I know it's some people, some of the hunters that, that were included in research that it, it, it helped us catch some links to put some colors on them. Mm. And then mm-hmm. those people, again, that they got the opportunity to have a picture with the links, they, they value those, that picture with the lynx. It's, it's something really out of the ordinary. They, they really appreciate it. And I, I would say that for almost every of, of those hunters, after that, they would never shoot links. even. Maybe in in future, if, if it would be legal to hunt links, I, I believe that they wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I not because it would be bad, you no. Know, but simply, it's not bad. You no, know, it's something you had in your hands. You no, know, it's, it's special for you. You will not shoot it. It's simple like that.
0: Right. I that personal say connection. What, sorry. No, yeah, exactly. That personal connection that you have with something yeah. you just can't imagine yeah, taking yeah. the life after that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I I I can really say that for most of hunters I know. Again, not for all, because all people are, people are different. But many people are. You you, you can see that in their eyes. You know, on on this picture, they're like. <laughs> 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 oh my god! Like this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, no thanks so much for exploring that with me because that is one one part of the story that I have not been able to have on that much, which I see is very important because I actually come from a hunting family myself, growing up in rural America. A lot of people there hunt and that's just just part of what you do. Like my sister and her family, that's one of the main ways that they have meat is they go out and they take white tail deer. And so I feel like just having more of that story here. So if someone is listening that are so very against hunting, I I understand maybe why they might have that viewpoint. But listening to that story that you just said, I hope will just get the wheels turning about why it's so important to have every voice on this. And that's what Rewildology is all about. The podcast is having so many different voices like we all can call ourselves a conservationist. But maybe how we do that is different. And every single viewpoint is valid. Like every single viewpoint is valid. And so, yeah, that's why I love having you on because you you are like you have one foot on this side and one foot on this side. And you can bring both perspectives to this one very special species that very few people have the ability to do. So, yeah, you were like prime <laughs> to, to teach us about this and everything so on that, let's, let's step to the other side, the biologist side of this. What are some really cool discoveries that your team has made? Like, let's just like, geek out over the science part for a little bit. What, what have you learned about the Lynx in your years studying them since your project launched? <laughs>
1: uh, I really don't know where to start. Yeah, but I must say they're really not Just because we research, we research them, but really fantastic animals. And it's, uh, with time, it really became very easy to get in their heads, especially with snow trekking. When you have enough snow and then you go snow trekking, you don't see that links. You you cannot see the animal directly, but just going after the tracks, you, you can see everything the animal has seen, you can, if you're re- reading the tracks correctly, you can, you could, you can get a good links perspective of the world. And the main thing w- with the links is I can start with, with their senses, their main senses are eyesight and hearing. And they actually share that with, with humans because when we are in nature, most of the information we get is with, with our eyes and with our ears. Then we have the nose and everything else. It's similar with lynx, although their eyesight is a lot, lot better than ours. And their hearing is a lot, lot better than ours. <laughs> their right. sense of smell is not that good compared maybe to other large carnivores. Again. Human sense of smell is something again not that good, Co- again compared to animals in general. I, I must say, just today I, I found a killed roe deer. I- it was killed by lynx. I found it. I I felt the smell one hundred and fifty meters away from the kill. Wow, so, that's really impressive! Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, Holy crap. So We're not that bad.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> At least your nose is not that bad. You can smell dead carrion anywhere. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I was like, like, there is something, and I, or the the direction of the wind, and and I really found it, and I, I was so happy about it. My two colleagues were, they also felt. The, the smell, but they couldn't tell direction. <laughs> but, but then I was so happy <laughs> and I found it. <laughs> they didn't want to come down because it really had bad smell. <laughs> yeah. But again, most of our experience of the world is, is with uh, sight and hearing. Smell is not that that strong. It's similar to, to links, and when we t- think about links and their, their use of their habitat use, then we, we also with this snow tracking and both telemetry, we found that they, they mostly use higher areas, which, which is very logical because when you have those senses pretty much developed, then, then the, the most of information of, of the environment you will get, you will get if you are go if you are high know on, on the high ground because if you are on the high ground and you can see more, you can hear more. If you're somewhere down, you hear and see a lot less. You, you can hear only things that are just around you. That actually distinguishes them a lot from animals like wolves, wolves. main sense is a sense of smell and it's really fantastic. I've also done some research on wolves with wolf trapping, telemetry, no, no. a lot, and they're really fantastic as as a pack animal, learning each from other and fantastic. But it's so so hard to get in their heads. Why? Because they think with their nose, hmm. not mm-hmm. with their eyes or their ears. They think with their nose, similar like our dogs. And when the wolf is going out to find the meal, the wolf will mostly go on forest paths, like game trails or forest roads. Where is the highest chance to get the fresh smell of a deer that just passed by? With lynx, lynx will mostly not feel the smell of deer. It has to hear it or it has to see it. That's why it goes usually on the high ground. In most of the dynamics on this high ground, you mostly have rocks, and when lynx lynx moves on rocks, either or on naked rocks, or maybe if it has some moss, they're so silent. Lynx are usually silent, even if they 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 move on dry leaves. They're still very very <laughs> silent. Same. The, the closest. I had a lynx that, that is, that was not tranquilized. It was on six meters. Wow. Yeah. Because there was a lynx kill and I, I had to tranquilize one particular lynx. It was a female with two kittens. I had to tranquilize one of the kittens. It was before Life Lynx project to change the, the color on the lynx. So I took the tranquilized gun and, and waited and I had this young lynx coming in front of me on six meters, on dry leaves, coming to feed. I was looking at the lynx and I was not hearing it. It was really like I was looking at the ghost.
0: That's crazy.
1: Yeah. It's (laughs) so crazy. Uh, Again, if you have a cat at home, it's maybe a bit easier to understand, but this is really fantastic. They really have those huge paws. And they're so, so with with a lot of hair on their posts, they're very, yeah. So as in Dinerics, you have a lot of rocks on on this high ground. Then when when the lynx spots a potential prey, he can use these rocks to move on, completely soundless, completely. And also they, he will use those rocks to hide between them. So it's really fantastic the, the way they hunt and the, the locations that they use as they, their resting places. If you find a good lynx resting place, in the middle of the winter, you will feel warm.
0: It's,
1: <laughs> you know, like it's fantastic that they choose them so, so good. <laughs> yeah, it's usually oriented towards south. It It's... Still on high ground, but it's protected from north. So they get the sun. They don't get cold winds from the north. And they usually have some kind of game trail just down. So they rest in the sun and wait for the meal to come by. (laughs) Fantastic.
0: Just like a cat.
1: Yeah, and and they're very lazy, by the way.
0: Yeah, cats are cats. I love cats. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's just one part of the story. We also have some interesting discoveries. It, those are not yet confirmed in, in the matter of written science papers. But at the beginning of, of Lynx research, we all, and also the, the scientific literature, literature, went in the direction of saying that Lynx is the solitary animal. We all know about that. Females, they have kittens and they raise their kittens. Then they, after 10 months, they turn them away and they then have new kittens. Males are with females only when they mate and then they don't have any more interest. And this is what, what most, most of books are saying. And we, we took that for granted and at the beginning, but in time... We noticed that yes. sometimes they socialize during the year mm. in actually every part of the year. And even in some occasions, they share a meal
0: Wow! Out, really? outside
1: of breeding season. Yeah. A male with a female. Yeah. So again, we discussed actually a lot about that. Why is that? And it was actually very logical. Because we were, we were looking at the lynx as a solitary animal. Why is the animal solitary? Doesn't it maybe like other animals, even of opposite gender? Yes? No? It would be weird. Uh, male lynx would like females only during the breeding season. Well, it, you know, w- when you change the perspective, then then it becomes weird with with these solitary animals so most of wild cats are wild felines generally are solitary predators yeah except Except for lions yeah but why are they solitary mostly because they are ambush predators yeah how can you catch successfully as an ambush predator, if there are two of us, two of you. Very hard. I know that from hunting perspective, (laughs) if I'm sneaking in the forest with someone with me, no chance I will hunt, I will catch something, (laughs) you know, you don't do that, Right. simply you don't do that. So they're mostly effective when they hunt alone and that's why we call them solitary and Most of the year, they really are completely solitary. But if you're a male lynx and you catch a roe deer, I don't know, in June or July, outside of the breeding season, when you have a lot of meat, then you will not have anything against sharing a meal with a female. Why is that? One reason is maybe to stay on her good side, so she will remember you, when the breeding season comes. Well, maybe it's it's not a bad idea. Yeah. The other reason, which is, I would say, uh, biologically more important, is if, in case, you had mated with this female and you share a meal with her and her kittens, then you increase the chance of survival of their kittens, which are also your kittens, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like, like a lion pack when they will be together all the time and hunt together and stuff like that, but with, with links as a solitary animal, it, it's more distance, you know, like, but sometimes again, sharing this meal, it's, I believe it, it is important for for their social networking, I would say those are really some of the things we, we came by. There is really a bunch of it. I really, but <laughs> no. But the, the, yeah. this is one of the things that, that that really fascinated me, because more you think about it, it makes more logic. When w- w- if you will be thinking about it, maybe in a day or two, you will say, wow. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> Yeah, there. are great.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And being so involved in cat conservation like I am, we're starting to see more discoveries like this. Because I know there's been some similar stories about mountain lions. It's like pumas, cougars, you know, one cat that has a million names. That there's been some similar discoveries where they're like, um, we might have been wrong on how solitary these cats actually were. So it's really cool to see that multiple cats, as we are studying them more and more, their lives are starting to open up to us. And they have this whole other side and dimension that we just didn't know about, because again, You can go see tigers easily, you know, on safari. You can go see lions. You can go see these other species. But the super cryptic ones, like lynx, are pretty much impossible to see unless you're a researcher like you. That has, even, but even then, (laughs) I'm sure it's still not easy. Mountain lions, I've been trying for years to see. I've tracked them. I've done everything within moral bounds to see a mountain lion, and I still have yet to do it. So goddamn cats. But I will get one, <laughs> and I will. When I do, I do. When I do, I'll share. But yeah. So so if we could like take this thing full picture and summarize it, what do you feel, or what do you foresee is the future for the links in your area? Are you optimistic? Are you? Do you think there's still some more hurdles that we need to get through? But but what's your vision for the future?
1: Uh, with the links. I uh, really believe that they have a bright future in Dynarics, especially with the Lynx project. uh, This inclusion of uh, the goal number was uh, 14 animals released in in population and included in population. But one very important part of the project is to release five animals in the Alpine part of Slovenia, which is already with the Alps, which gravitates towards Italy and then Switzerland, which also has links population. So one of, I would say the most important goals of the project is, is to connect mm-hmm. alpine population with dianeric population. In long term, it would enable circulation of genes throughout the alps and Dinarics. In long term, genetically speaking, inbreeding would never be a problem again. Otherwise, with this inclusion of 14 animals in the population, if we did only that in around 25 or 30 years years later, we would have to do that again. Mm -hmm. Because the genes again should have to wear out, would wear out. But if we connect our population to to another neighboring population, then it, it would be avoided. That's actually currently the main threat, and so we are mostly concentrated on that. Regarding uh, some other threats, in Croatia, we actually have a lot of Natura 2000 areas, which are within this special Natura network, uh, in which large carnivores are main goal of protection. So everything that is planned to be built in these areas has to be studied and has to be made in a way so it doesn't influence large carnivores significantly. Oh, wow. Significantly. Yeah. So, in in long term, regarding that, they're also safe. It is not a problem for them. So, if you are, I don't know, building a highway, you have to make, make it on some locations. You have to make passes for wildlife and stuff like that yeah so it's yeah the in that aspect it's really fantastic regarding uh, their prey species most of prey species links feed on are on the rise so it's really not a problem so there is really a lot of food game management is going quite well so it's not a serious threat actually the the main thing is Maybe it's not, not such a long term, but after this LifeLinks project ends, the question is how good monitoring of the species will be. Hmm. Because now we have this big project, we have a lot of equipment, we have people, we, we really work a lot, and we have a lot of information. Most of, in, in the last five years, from from least, research large carnivore, we have most of lynxes known by names, literally yeah. by names. We have <laughs> their names, their calves, their, their sex. We know how many kittens they had. We, we know every, everything about them. It, it's fantastic. But when the project ends in a few years, we will, again, we will have a lot of knowledge about them. But the current population status will be unknown but again we will know that the inbreeding problem is being dealt with with the new animals so the the genes are spreading so it it will not be a problem so the, the main challenge is to try to to preserve the monitoring effort and again here the hunters are again very important because throughout this project Many hunters, hunters, not only hunters, but also foresters, hikers, people from nature parks, national parks and, and similar institutions, got very interested in, in monitoring of population and have interest to maybe to maintain our equipment if if we leave, leave it in the field. Oh, so wow. camera traps on certain locations, if we make a good deal, with, with the local people, maybe they will maintain it. So for example, if, if some local hunting club will be interested to, to have two or three camera traps, uh, in their hunting ground where they they will change batteries all the time, of course we use only rechargeable batteries, so it's sustainable. Maybe they will have interest to take children from schools to show them about the links, to show, show them about deer and to give them the, the input of, of the entire story. So it's something we're trying to make also sustainable. It, it's not that easy because you don't have such a good feedback everywhere. But if you get a good feedback here and here and here, maybe the people that live here also might get interested because they will say, oh, yeah, these guys are doing this. (laughs) This might be interesting. And maybe even the the tour guides might be interested. So Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. on some locations, that's actually the, one of the the ideas we had to include tour guides, to give them keys of of our camera traps. They're usually in metal housings. Okay. No problem. You have some tourists go with them, show them pictures. Just change the batteries <laughs> and send us the pictures. Yeah, we educate those people a little bit because those cameras are mostly fixed. So just people have to learn a few settings and it's it's very simple to use and we get the information and people get also some some interesting information and looking from people that are not local like tourists, with tourists, they enjoy even the idea of being in the, the same area where large carnivores are. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that us Croats, are, are quite we are quite spoiled. And the tourists are, are quite humble. They're very happy if they see a wolf's cat or a, a bear footprint or something like that. And when you have Croats come to National Park, okay, show us the bear, show us the wolf. You know, like. <laughs> okay, we don't have uh, we don't have any bears at the moment, but look, there's a bear footprint. Nah, he was the bear. You know. <laughs> so they want the bear. If you want to see the bear, you have the zoo. Yeah,
0: the right. guy. They're not coming yeah. on command. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So sometimes with people, it's very hard to, to understand that, although there are... Some locations you can monitor the bears, you can go photo hunting for bears and stuff like that. It's really great. But th- that's not for general public. But again, for some people, it would be really very, very rewarding. i I've had some people that, that joined me that, that are not either my students or hunters, just some people from public that, that joined me in the field. And it, it was very interesting to see their perspective because for them. It was like, the, it, it was something so much out of the ordinary mm-hmm. and they were like, wait, wait, is this really the smell of flink's urine? They were like, oh my God, I can't believe it. Is this really link hair? Can I, can I, yeah. they, they were like, <laughs> you know, yeah. like this experience was overwhelming for, for many people. It, it's really fantastic. So I would say that, that some people are, are so humble. And, and, and are so happy with so little. And if you bring them on, on some locations during the day, if they're not in large groups, you, you will not disturb large carnivores. We had lynx coming to the cameras two hours after us. You know, they're really so cool animals that they, yeah.
0: <laughs> That's Sometimes so- they just miss us, yeah. <laughs> That's so spectacular. And I really love to hear that you are also engaging the, the travel tourism sector. Cause like that's, that's my angle, my personally. So I always, my ears always perk up when I hear that. So yeah, cause I'm in conservation travel. That's what I do as my professional job. And it's cause it is such an easy, it's an easy demographic to engage cause they already care. And then they are in the fields too. Like your guides are some of the best people To engage with because they know the animals, you know, because they view them almost similar as a hunter does, you know, essentially they are going out to find them and spring guests to them or whatever it is that they might be doing. So that is a very awesome sector to be engaging as well. So that's what I'm doing on my other projects on the other side, but that's another conversation offline. Yeah, so let's just switch it back to you really fast. I know that it's getting pretty late for you, so I won't keep you that much longer. But you have experienced so much, and you have been a lecturer, you're a veterinarian, you're a cat expert, all of these things. What advice do you have for anyone listening, a message that you would really like someone to walk away with? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: This is one thing I wasn't thinking about, but message. I would say that the main, really, regarding large carnivores, the thing is always about the habitat. So, conserving the habitat is everything. Once you destroy the habitat, when you fragment it, either you build, build highways, factories, wind farms, whatever. When you do it once, it will be so hard to to bring 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 it back to wild again and again, large carnivores are very important indicators of that hmm. so when, when you lose them when, you, when when you lose them once and if if you don't change and it's so hard to change habitat back to the old, even if if you try to to release them back. You take them, I don't know, from Croatia or Slovenia and then release them back. In most cases, they will not, in that, I would say, restore its habitat, they will not handle well. Because all the, the good things in time just become lost. So I would say that for the people that, that have some something to conserve, I really can encourage them to to do it more, you know, like if you have some, some patches bigger or, or smaller, smaller of good conserved habitat, don't give it for anything. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because once it is destroyed, once it, it, it it's compromised, you, you can never get back to the old. If you release endless, like large carnivores in Restored habitat, which is not 100% restored, you will mostly have problem animals. You know, those will not be large carnivores as we know them. You know, and whenever you come to to the area where you have large carnivores, don't be selfish and don't ask to see them. Be, uh, Be satisfied with signs of presence. And if you're a good researcher, you will find signs of presence of all the large carnivores if you know where to find, where to look. Yeah, I guess <laughs> that would be the message. Oh, that's
0: fantastic. No, I really, really love all of that was so good. And if anybody might want to get a hold of you or want to follow your work or LifeLinks, just anything, they want to continue this on, what's the best way for someone to go about that?
1: The best way, we well, we have this project web page, www.lifelinks.eu. There there you can find really a lot of information about the project. It's really with, with the... the the freshest news, and you can contact our team. You can contact me personally again on vedran.sliepceviks at gmail.com. We also have uh, this Croatian Facebook page, which is really great because we directly contribute as researchers. But again, it's in Croatian, so I don't know how much (laughs) you can understand from that. But really, we get... We we get really a lot of great footage. We also give some great news. So we even have some people, not that, it's actually quite a, a large number of people from different countries that, that follow our Croatian field blog on, on Facebook. I guess they use Google Translate or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, but I see that, that many people from different countries are interested and in they're included that they're following and and it's quite interesting so if anyone will will have any questions either for me i said the maybe you can i believe it it will not be a problem to, to give some kind of contact yeah so people can contact me i can give them information some other information maybe if some of them even would like to volunteer on the project it's a short time but maybe even in future on, on links to research, as we are hoping to to make some kind of long-term monitoring, maybe through this crowdfunding campaign or something like that. So people might be interested to to work, volunteer or something like that to to to, to be part of the story. You know, we'll, we we were we are always open to that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. And just keep me posted on that because I have a lot, a lot of people that I'm sure would be very interested. So just let me know. And I was already talking with Nashi about coming over myself. So we'll see what that happens. And I don't know if you noticed that like, The Rewadology logo is a Lynx. So, like, this is so. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It is so fitting that we sat down today and maybe even one day be engaged with your work myself, which would be so rewarding. If
1: you will be (laughs) caught. if you'll be coming, I want one of these t-shirts. I will <laughs> totally bring a t-shirt.
0: You don't even have to think twice about that. If I finally have an opportunity to come over, I will be sure that I see all of you and you get all of the ReWalletology swag and that we would just have so much fun. Just go. Uh, go.
1: We, we, will, we will take you to, to the best link spots. I yeah. promise you. That.
0: <laughs> yeah. Okay, I guess I'm just going to book a ticket soon. And we will figure that out when we get there. <laughs> well, awesome, Dayton, Thank you so much again for sitting down with me. And I cannot wait to get your story out.
1: Thank you. It was really great.
0: Ah, I hope one day to meet Vader in Croatia and hopefully see one of his links in the wild. I'll be sure to wear some algae swag as extra good juju. If I put this trip together, I'll let you all know in case some of you want to join me. If you'd like to read more about life links and connect with Vajran, check out the show notes for this episode at the website where all relevant links are listed. If you enjoy this episode and think someone else might find value in it too, spread the love and share the episode on your Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tag I'd love to hear your thoughts and share them with the whole Algae community. One last shout out to Focusrite for powering the podcast sound. If you'd like to see the gear I use to record the show, head on over to RewildAlgae.com and check out nature podcasting under the resources tab. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild
1: the planet.